You can turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. Now, I know that when you, you look at a sermon and a set of sermon notes and you see that we are going through two full chapters of the Old Testament in the book of Kings, you think it's going to take us half an hour just to read those two chapters. And it may very well. They're very long chapters. So we're going to actually look at a few verses at a time in 2 Kings 22 through 23. Your homework assignment if you choose to accept your homework assignment this morning, is to go home and read 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 in its entirety. It is fast becoming, uh, Gary likes when I say this, my favorite story in the Bible. And you'll see why here in just a second, or if you've opened up, you may have already, if you know me well, know why it's become one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And this morning, we're going to look at the second part of our series, How to Respond to the Bible. And so last week, we looked at a man named Ezra. Uh, this was actually in the future uh, uh, from 2 Kings. A man named Ezra who was returning with the Israelites to temple worship, to restore honorable worship to God. He reads the book of the law, studies it, applies it to his life and teaches it to others. How do we respond to it? We have to study the word, make a commitment to the word, know the word, live out the word, and share that word with others. Our story this morning is another response to the Bible. It's a different response, but that doesn't mean it is an inappropriate response. They're both appropriate ways that we respond to Scripture. And this morning, we're going to look at a young man, a very young man, named Josiah. Now, if you're wondering how this became one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, now, it happened somewhere around three years ago, I would say, that this became a story very near to my heart. Uh, when my wife was pregnant with now our third child, we were going over different names for boys and for girls, and we had a lot of different names picked out, actually all the way back to when we were expecting our first, before we knew we were going to have Callie, we had boys' names and girls' names picked out, and we went through a whole list of different biblical names. Caleb was on there somewhere. Uh, at one point, Anakin was on the table. I don't know how that one got on there, but uh, we quickly moved that one off. I quickly moved that one off. And one day, my wife said, what about the name Josiah? I thought, well, I like the name Josiah. And then we started reading about Josiah in Scripture, 2 Kings 22 and 23, and about this remarkable young king. So before we dive into his response to the Word of God, let's just ask ourselves, who is Josiah? Not my Josiah. Who is the Josiah in the Bible? Who is this young man that we're going to be looking at this morning? And so we'll start off just by reading those first two verses in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. As we get ready to read that, understand the history of what's going on in Israel. At this point, they have had a myriad of good leaders and bad leaders. Right? They started off with, with just some men and women that God raised up to kind of lead them sporadically. They were called the judges. Then God gave them a series of three unifying kings, one who was an extremely horrible king, one who was an incredible king, and one who, who outwardly did everything great but inwardly struggled with his faith. 
After those three kings, they started fighting amongst each other, and they never had a unified king again. They had kings in the northern part of Israel and kings in the southern part of Israel. The northern kings were awful and wicked, every single one of them, not a single good king in the lot, and God punishes them by sending them into exile. Literally, this, this empire, this Assyrian empire, attacks them and drags them off, kidnaps them and drags them off. And all that's left is this southern empire in what we call Judah. Some of their kings are exceedingly wicked. Some of them are faithful to God. When we enter into this study in Josiah, we're coming off two consecutive horrible, wicked kings. I mean, kings who were sacrificing children to false gods, leading God's chosen people. These are kings who who were putting up altars and temples and, and turning people away from worship of the one true God. They're on the cusp of becoming what the northern kingdom was, God punishing them. And along comes this young man named Josiah. Look in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Don't let that skip your attention. Right? Pay attention to that. Josiah was how old? Eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, if you're doing the math real quick, 8 plus 31 means he was 39 when his reign came to an end and when he dies in battle. He spent his entire time as king as young. And I'm going to say 39 is still young because I'm still barely under that number. Right? So he spent his entire time as king as a young man. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah, uh, Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of, his da of David, his father. And he did not turn aside from the right or to the left. A couple of things that I think you can catch here. One is that of all of the kings in Judah, he was one who walked faithfully, did not turn aside, did not get distracted. He walked and followed God faithfully. Most once you recognize, it says he walked in the way of David, his father. Now, all you have to do is turn back a chapter to 2 Kings 21 to realize his father's name was not David. Now, this is not talking about his biological earthly dad, David. This is talking about his lineage. That great king we talked about, the one who did great for Israel and followed God's heart, that unified the nation, this King David, who all of Israel loved and adored because he was a man after God's own heart. This is who Josiah said he's descendant of. There were other kings descendant from David, but they did not have a heart like David had a heart for God. Josiah should not be compared with his father or his grandfather, who were exceedingly wicked. Josiah is compared to that great God-following king, King David. At eight years old, we're introduced to a remarkable young man. Now, not just in 2 Kings 22, but also written about in, in uh, 2 Chronicles, we learn more about Josiah's life. Uh, we learn more about um, kind of what he did and when he turned. And he was probably about, I think if I remember correctly, about 16 years old when he really discovered the law of the Lord and turned his heart over. So between 8 and 16, he was kind of a, a rebellious kid. Well, I don't know if he was rebellious, but he wasn't saved anyways. He, he didn't understand who God was, but he heard the word of God, and this is his description. He followed it, did not turn to the right or to the left. Thankfully for us, in 2 Kings, we do get a picture 
of Josiah's response when he hears the word of the Lord, when he understands that God has a plan for him and his people. So I want to spend some time this morning looking at Josiah's response to the word of God. He discovers the word of God down in verse 8, and he discovers it kind of in a unique way. What happens is some of his officials are, um, are charged to go and basically do an audit. Make sure the money is counted in the treasury properly. Go dig through everything and make sure everything's accounted for. This is really a financial um, a job that these people have in the, these first few verses of 2 Kings 22. And in doing so, one of the men discovers the law of the Lord that had been lost. His grandfather and his, his father had probably hidden it or pushed it away, had ignored it, and they discover this book, the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And so they bring it before the king. Look at me in verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary who had found this, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Look what he tells him to do in, in verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. As he's reading the book of the law of the Lord, Josiah now has a chance to respond positively or negatively. When you and I hear the word of God, we have a chance to respond either positively or negatively. And can I share with you, it's really, really easy to hear the things of Scripture and reject them because we don't like them. They're different than what we're used to. The very first thing Josiah realizes as he hears the law of the Lord being read is that his people and himself they are exceedingly wicked individuals. They are not following the commandments written in this book. The first response that Josiah has is to repent of sin. Last week when we looked at Ezra, reading the scriptures, he was a godly man who read it, studied it, did it, and taught it. All positive actions. There are times when we read the word of God that it is not always a go and do this positive action. It is examine your heart and stop living the way you're living. There are times we read scripture where it says, it's talking about me and my punishment. It's talking about my wicked heart. It's talking about how I'm selfish. It's talking about how I need salvation. And Josiah hears the law of the Lord and he says, we can't live this way. He, he starts bawling and crying and he's, he's tearing his clothes. Look, look with me in verse 11 through 13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This is a physical sign of mourning. He's ripping his kingly robes. He's not worthy to be in God's presence. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Akim the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for all the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. His first reaction is not one of, it's great, God has given us his word. It's, look how horribly we've dealt with God's word. 
says God's wrath is against us, against the people, and, and even says against me. We're not keeping what the Bible tells us to keep. I'm convinced that the number one reason why people don't read Scripture, Christians don't read Scripture, the number one reason is as they read it, they get lost and confused because they're, they're either trying to read too much at one time or perhaps it's kind of a, a context that's difficult to understand. And, and I think most people set their Bibles down and don't pick it back up because they feel overwhelmed at the amount of information in there. As they read it, they don't understand it, and it's just too easy to set it aside. And the truth is, as you read through Scripture, a lot of times it's overwhelming. And you walk away going, I don't understand what's going on here. I think that's the number one reason. But I, I think secondary, and I, I don't think it's as far off a second as you might believe. I think the second reason why people put the Bible down is because when they know the truth, they know they've not been living the truth. There's conviction that comes with reading Scripture. There should be conviction that comes with reading Scripture. If you read the Bible and don't ever feel like you've done something that you need to turn back to God for, you've got your head in the sand. As a matter of fact, the New Testament makes it explicitly clear. Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned, every single one of us. And so how can you not read the law of the Lord? Well, we've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. As we read Scripture, we need to respond with a repentance. God, I'm not living up to what you've called me to live up to. Now, that does not mean that Scripture is meant to make you feel bad about yourself. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Scripture is not meant to make you feel bad or to, to feel guilty. Scripture is meant to show you that you can be freed from that guilt, that you don't have to live in that guilt any longer. When you repent of sin, it's not to say, look what a horrible person I am. It's to say, look at what a merciful God that can forgive me. This is what Josiah says, go inquire what God needs us to do. We need to be made right with God. We need to repent. Go and find out, because God's wrath has to be against us. My father and my grandfather, our people, have turned away from what's written in the book of the law. As we read scripture, our response should be repentance. Not, not God, there's sin in our culture. We repent as a culture. Okay, some of that. Not God, there is sin in a family member or a friend's life, and I can see it. Help them repent of it. As we read scripture, we ought to say, God, there's sin in my heart that I need to yield to you. It's a personal responsibility. Notice that Josiah was, was one who followed the Lord and did not turn from the right or to the left. He was a man after God's own heart like his ancestor David, and yet he takes personal responsibility and says, God's wrath is against me. I need to find out what God needs me to do. We read scripture. We are to repent of the sin that is glaringly obvious as we read his word. But secondly, as we repent of our sin, we have to not just ask forgiveness, but we have to, to follow Christ, follow God, and commit to obey. We must commit to be obedient. By the way, this is really easy to do in a singular moment. I love this about you all, is that um, if I ask you to interact, you will interact with me. And I said that because I'm baiting you and I want you to interact with me, so you're going to do that now, right? Raise your hand if you want to obey the Lord this morning. As far as I could tell, every single hand went up, right? Some of you so-so, but yeah, all, all the hands went up, right? It's easy to do sitting here in the sanctuary. We can commit in this moment that we're going to obey because we're sitting next to other people who commit to obey, and we know that we're in a church setting and we're expected to commit to obey. 
But Josiah did more than read it and say, okay, I guess I can obey. I can raise my hand. It was, it was more than just a word or a momentary action. Josiah put things in place to make sure he was obedient to God. It was more than a, a passing decision. It was a, a life change for him. I can get anyone to raise their hand if they want to follow the Lord. But only you can make the decision to follow the Lord yourself. Look at Josiah's actions down in verse 3, or, or back uh, in chapter 23, verse 3. 2 Kings 23, so the next chapter over verse 3. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. What you see that follows in chapter 23 is, is not just a covenant made in a moment, but then Josiah going and saying, okay, there are altars set up to false gods. Let's tear them down. Okay, there are, there are temples erected. Let's cause them to be rubble. There are people who have led us into idolatry. Let us punish them accordingly. And as you read chapter 23, don't be shocked that the purification process is such that people's lives are lost because of their disobedience. It's a, it's a fairly graphic picture of Josiah cleansing Israel of all idolatry and sin. This commitment and this covenant was not just a momentary decision, it was a call to action. We're making this decision and now we're going to obey. We're going to get rid of everything that would cause us to fall back. Commitment is only commitment if you follow through. It's not a decision momentarily and then a, a life that never is altered. Commitment and covenant is a way for us to say, God, I am going to do this, whatever the cost may be. One of my closest friends in, in high school became a Christian as a high school student. He was a couple years older than me. Um, and, and all of his friends were... Um, were drug addicts, and it was a rough background. He went to uh, our public school system in Miami-Dade, which was not a great public school system, and um, every single one of his friends were lost and were trying to pull him back in. I remember him sharing his testimony one Wednesday night at a youth group saying, one of the hardest things I did to follow Christ was to cut people I cared about out of my life. So I want them to know Christ, but as I tried to talk to them, they just pulled me back into my old way of life, and and I had to literally tell my childhood best friend that we can't hang out anymore. There are some people who are cutting relationships out of their life for the cause of Christ. There are some people who are avoiding circumstances or are separating themselves from things they love or have loved because the call to follow Christ is a commitment. And if it's going to pull you back, you need to remove those idols. This is a commitment that Josiah says, I'm reading the law of the Lord and I'm going to make sure we set ourselves up for success. Maybe in your life you're not cutting people out. And I hope and pray you don't have to. Maybe instead your commitment is, is cutting other things out of your life. Idols you know that you spend way too much time on. Maybe it's internet or social media. Maybe it's, it's an activity or an event. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's it's finances or a job. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever your idol is, it's pulling you away. You have to commit yourself to obey God, and when there are things that pull you away from that commitment, 
as Josiah does in 2 Kings 23, are to destroy those idols. God calls us to repent of our sin and to commit to obey. And what I think is remarkable about Josiah's reaction in these two steps is it's the exact reaction that Paul says God demands for salvation in the New Testament. Listen to this. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is, you're in control and I will obey you. I will commit to obey and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. If you will repent of your sins and embrace God as Savior, then you will be saved. This wasn't new to the New Testament. This is what Josiah does here. It's a surrender. God, you're the Lord, and I'm going to obey you. And you're my only hope for salvation. I'm going to repent. Right here in the Old Testament is a picture of salvation that God has had in place since the original sin in the Garden of Eden. God is calling us to read his word for salvation, every bit of it. And as we read it, Lord, forgive me, and let me surrender to you. I think what's also remarkable about Josiah is he has his salvation experiences, is it's not punctual, but it continues on for the duration of his life, in that he continues to learn. He continues to learn. And here's the specific application I want you to catch from this. It's not just that he continues to read the Bible, but as he continues to read it, he continues to make changes in his life. Most notably, there were traditions that had been done or not done that he completely obliterates and reestablishes godly tradition. What I think is that often you and I have traditions in our own, even faith, that are not necessarily what God has called us to do, but what we've just always done or what we've always believed. And we read the Word of God, and sometimes it contradicts those, uh, those uh, traditions or beliefs, and we don't want to change. We want to manipulate Scripture to fit into our own traditions and our own beliefs. Kind of like, and this is a silly one, this isn't a major sinful one, but, but kind of like this idea that, that Jesus, the baby, when he was born, never cried. He was, was never a sad child because that song away in the manger says no crying he makes. And so you read scripture and you read that Jesus was human like every other human being and had emotions and reactions like every other human being and you go, except when he was a baby and he didn't cry. Right? That's our tradition and what we know. Or, or surrounding the, Easter, or the, the Christmas story as well, this idea that these three kings came and brought gifts to baby Jesus in a manger. This is the tradition that we have. We even sing a song about it. We three kings. Where were they from? They were from Orientar, right? That's the song, We Three Kings from Orientar, right? So we hear about these three men who come to this, this stable, and that's the tradition that we believe. Until we read the Bible, and it says they came to a house, and they were looking for a child who was around two years old, and you realize it's a tradition, but Scripture contradicts it. And so we, we at our house, we don't have our three wise men next to our nativity. If we ever have wise men, we put them somewhere further east, right? Because that's where they're coming from. They're just not there yet. And those are silly examples, but sometimes things are more serious. Sometimes we have traditions that we follow through, that we know must be true because they've always been true. One of those traditions is that I was taught growing up that you could not lose your salvation, but you could willingly forfeit it. I was taught this by my Sunday school teacher. I was taught this by my, my church. They told me that 
that you were fine as long as you didn't publicly or even in your heart, but purposefully say, okay, I don't want to have to do with anything with faith anymore. In that case, you could actually lose your salvation. I was taught that. I went to Bible college believing that, scared of that, that, that what if in a moment of anger I say the wrong words? And as I read scripture, I read things about God holding us, that nothing can take us out of his hand. And I, I read about how not angels or demons, not life or death, not, not anything can snatch me out of the hand of God. And I think, except when I sacrifice it myself. It's a tradition that I'd always believed, I'd always been taught. When we read the word of God, we need to be able to read it and say, I don't care what my traditions have been. What does the Bible say? And I'm thankful that the Bible teaches you cannot, in Christ, ever lose your salvation. Ever. If you are genuinely in Christ, not even you have the power to forfeit it. That's what the Bible teaches. It requires us reading scripture and saying, I know I was taught this way, but, but what's more important is what does the Bible say? This is what Josiah stumbles across when he realizes he gets to this Passover that they were supposed to be doing and having this big Passover meal. And what he realizes, they've not done it for centuries. Not even the United Kings, Saul and David and Solomon were doing the Passover. It hadn't been done for, for centuries. They'd forgotten what God had written in his word concerning a, a very important feast in the history of Israel. But look what he does as he embraces this tradition in verses 21 through 23. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God. It is written in the book of this covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges. Now don't miss this phrase. Since the days of the judges who judged Israel, during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. Somewhere in the time of the judges, hundreds of years ago, they had stopped keeping the Passover according to the law. Their tradition had changed. It was different, and this is how we've always done it. I, I can't imagine... I hope that you're not missing how vitally important it is that Josiah reinstated the biblical feast of Passover. It's literally where we get the Last Supper from, where Jesus gets the Last Supper from, that becomes communion in the Lord's Supper that you and I practice on a monthly basis now. All because Josiah said, traditionally we've been skipping this, but the Bible says do something different. For years and years and years and years, we function this way, but the Word of God tells us I promise you, it's not listed here, but I promise you Josiah had some pushback and some eye rolls. What's the big deal? It's a feast. Can't we just read about it and know what went on? Josiah says, no, it's not enough. The Bible says, do things this way. You and I need to continue to examine our own lives and say, I know I've always believed A, B, C, and D, but unless we can find Scripture Unless we see that the Bible is teaching those beliefs and those traditions, we need to search the Bible and say, Lord, show me truth. I'm not interested in what I've always been taught. I'm interested in what your word says. And when your beliefs or traditions contradict what the very words of God say, it's not the word of God that needs to be manipulated and changed. It's our own beliefs and our own convictions. Josiah continues to learn and put into practice the things of the law and the Lord, even when they go against hundreds of years of tradition. What's the end result when we repent of our sin and commit ourselves to obey God faithfully? What is it when we continue to study the Word of God and say it's not about tradition, it's about, it's about what God's Word tells me? 
Well, my hope in my prayer is that I can be like Josiah in the Bible. Honestly, I pray that my son Josiah would be like, that's why he has that name. He would be like this remarkable young man. Listen to what it says about the King Josiah. I know you think the greatest king in, in all of Israel's history was David, but l- let me read you this verse in verse 25. 2 Kings 23, 25 says, Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. There has never been a man in the history of the world, a king in the history of the world, who has turned to the Lord like Josiah did. This is a miraculous salvation in the Old Testament. This is what the Word of God can do when we respond to it properly. So this morning I ask, have you had that radical transformation? Have you studied the Word of God and allowed it to convict you of sin, show you how to live your life, commit to obey? Have you made a commitment to continually learn and check your own beliefs against what the Word of God says? Have you put your faith and trust in the God that Scripture reveals? Let's pray together. As we think about your Word, it is powerful to know that your salvation message didn't begin when Jesus was born, but your salvation message began from the moment sin entered the world. Your mercy and grace is remarkable. So Lord, as we read your word, we realize every word of it is calling us to examine our heart and repent. Every word of it is showing us how we're supposed to live and calling us to make a commitment to obey, not just momentarily, but with action. Lord, as we read your word, it continues to challenge our traditions and the things we've always believed. Lord, let us line up with your word, not our word. Lord, I pray that that this message of salvation would be revealed not just through the words spoken this morning, but through your very word. Lord, let us be committed to read it, to study it, to do it, so that we can be saved by it. Lord, convict our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.